Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I, I pray these your people would know that you're here with them. That not only uh, are you available, but you are very much alive, uh, can live within our hearts in Jesus by your Spirit. So I pray that your Spirit uh, would bring healing today because there are hearts here that need healing. Uh, I pray that it would bring life because there are probably hearts here that uh, may feel dead. I pray that it would bring joy because there are hearts here that are sad. I pray it bring renewal. Renewal in faith, renewal in Christ. That people would commit today. Say, I'm going to move into these next two weeks before Easter and recommit to know what you've done and seek your presence by your Spirit. Because not only are you available, you are alive and you're present. May we feel you. May you heal us. May you change us. May we be open to that change. Now, Jesus' name, amen. If you, uh, if you have your Bible, stay in John 19. Uh, if you do not, you can uh, take a Bible and feel free to take a Bible home with you. We love giving away Bibles if you don't have one. John 19, the passage that Jeremy read, is a uh, fairly well-known passage because it's Jesus before Pilate. And, you know, Pilate is uh, you know, pretty much the bad guy, uh, sent Jesus to the cross. He is named in the Apostles' Creed, crucified by Pontius Pilate, so not a good way to go down in history. So we're looking at this scene today, but more so we're in this series that we call Last Night, because we're looking at the different scenes leading up to the cross. Uh, we spent two Sundays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, last week, Jesus was before the high priest. Uh, today, we're looking at Jesus before Pilate. We're doing this because I hope that we can uh, greater understand the why uh, behind why these uh, scenes happen and that it will impact us to have a more powerful Easter in looking at the walk that Jesus walked before uh, the cross. So I hope uh, for me and for us that we uh, more fully understand the why and, and that night as Jesus was being led to the cross. Today I want to do two things. So this sermon is, is wrapped around two things. I want to show you how this passage connects to other verses of Scripture. So I'm going to be actually throwing a lot of Scripture at you. I don't do that every Sunday, but it, it will happen today. Uh, different Scripture, that is. And I want you to see how this passage literally connects to your life right now today. You can easily say, okay, Pilate, you know, I get the story, uh, I've seen, you know, miniseries or movies, but like, how does it, how does it apply today? Uh, I mean, I know the cross applies today, but like this scene. So, how it connects to Scripture and how it connects to our lives. And something I would I'd ask of you, and I'd love for you to do uh, every Sunday, is, you know, often we come to church and it's like, you know, come on, preacher, like, give me the shot in the arm, you know, you know give me some inspiration, and definitely Sunday is for that. You know, fire me up or, you know, give me something. And often, like, you know, Sunday afternoon, you know, we're watching a game and, and we forget. Uh, or Monday morning or sometimes at best 48 hours. 
one thing that you could do, and I would love to see grow in our church, is again, take a pen, uh, and then instead of dates, write down these scriptures, and like meditate on them during the week. Because God not only speaks to you on Sunday morning, uh, He definitely speaks throughout the week. And one thing you could do is say, okay, well, we, we hit on this Sunday, but God wants to say more and more through you. So that by Thursday, and maybe not this passage, but maybe a verse that you see on screen, and you meditate on it, and you dwell on it, and God gives you something from it uh, even more. Uh, I mean, that's, that's awesome. That's how God's Word works. That's how its Spirit works in teaching us. So today is, is definitely about today, and it's definitely about that shot that we need, but it needs to be much more than that. It needs to be like for the week, and that your life is, you know, you're taking time to look into God's Word, hear what he says. And it's not just for an hour, hour and a half. And Anyway, take your pen, write scripture, write points, write what the Spirit leads you to do. Now, leading up to this, so Jesus is going to Pilate, and the Jews are taking him here. Now, one thing that you may not know, the Jews could have killed Jesus already. They could have stoned him. Uh, if you know your Bible, if you know scripture, uh, many of you know in Acts 7, uh, this guy named Stephen, an early disciple, came before the same group, the high priest, Sanhedrin, and they accused him of blasphemy, and they just stoned him right there. As in, like, took a, a lot of rocks, threw them at, at him, not a good way to go, killed him right then. Why do they not do that to Jesus? Because they've accused him of blasphemy, as we saw last week. The high priest tore his shirts, like, you know, we're going we're gonna to take you to Pilate. Why didn't they just stone him there? They're laying a trap for Jesus, and they're afraid. They're afraid of the people. They're afraid the people might revolt. And they would like the blame to be on the Romans. The blame to be on Pilate. So they want him dead, but they know that if they were to stone him or kill him by their own hand, the people might revolt against them. So they're like, let's just put it off on Pilate. And so we could blame him, that he orders him to die. And this leads to the first thought, because in terms of how it applies to our life, I want to talk about choices that we face. These are choices that we face daily. And the first one is, do we choose to see the scandal or the sin in a person's life? See, the, the priests, the high priests, were really afraid of the scandal. All this was going down at night, like two or three in the morning. They were afraid to do it during the day that people might revolt. They, again, they could have killed them on their own, but they wanted Pilate to, to make the order. And so they were afraid that this would, you know, be this, this scandal and look bad on them. They were more afraid about that than the sin, not only of just killing an innocent man, but killing the Son of God in their hearts. And what this boils down to is for us, we are much more afraid of what people think than what God thinks. We have the fear of man in us more and more than the fear of God. And so we're more concerned about scandals than we are with sin that's in our heart. And even when we ask for God's forgiveness, and let's say we've been in the midst of some scandal, but we ask for God's forgiveness, then Scripture is clear. He will give new life. He will give forgiveness. You can move forward in new life with confidence, with head held high, 
but yet we're still worried about the scandal and what people think about that scandal, about that sinful action, even though God, we're good with God. Ever thought about that? Like, like we're good with the creator of the universe. We're good with the King of kings, Lord of lords. And yet the, the thoughts people have or what they might be saying weighs us down. So, you know, let me just bring up, you know, one of the, uh, you know, the, the, the scarlet letter, you know, A, adultery. I mean, that's kind of the most, you know, I mean, we, we like a lot of us, uh, not me, but, you know, we like, like drama and we like to talk and there's gossip and, you know, man, we know the deal. Uh, not only does it happen like here, but it happens to every church because we're, we're human beings. So it's, you know, capital A and say, like, they say someone is in the midst of that sin of adultery uh, that, that is, you know, interesting in the terms of gossip and People Magazine type stuff uh, for folks. And yet they come to church and they kneel on the altar and they repent. And so the Lord forgives them and they're forgiven in their heart. But like we're still more interested in the scandal than the forgiven sin. And helping a person move towards new life. And so we choose the scandal versus the forgiven sin. Or the sin that God can forgive. And you know, what I, one, one thing I've noticed, not just here, but like my home church up in New Albany, uh, other churches I've been to, you know, we, we give a kind of an easy out and we invite you for communion. Now, one of the big reasons for that is we believe that's a, a literal act of the Holy Spirit. We want you to partake in that. But it's also a moment uh, to repent, to come to the altars or to come forward. And so it's kind of like an easy out. But, you know, some churches, they'll just play the closing song. And I've seen it over and over again. I mean, I know people who are immersed in scandal and they ain't going to get up. Because they're like, well, you know, what's going down in their marriage? I mean, you know what folks are thinking, you know. What have they been doing? What have they done wrong, you know? Who messed around with, you know, her husband or his wife, you know, blah, 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 blah. And there is a fear of what people think. The bottom line is fear of man or people is so much greater than fear of God. And what I'd like for this church... um, is to walk in uh, humble confidence of saying, yeah, I messed up. Whatever it is, you know, you pick your poison in the sin realm. Yeah, I messed up. Uh, Cheated somebody. My greed took over. I cheated somebody in business. Um, There was a scandal. But you come here, and you see grace, and you see in God's word, repent, the heart is renewed. And yes, sin has consequences. Let's be really clear. Sin has consequences, but in God's eyes, you are forgiven, and you can walk forward being forgiven, growing in new life. So here, these folks, these priests, were much more concerned about the scandal than the sin in their hearts. I'd rather us be concerned about the sin that's in our hearts, but not like carry it around over and over and day after day, one moment, one time, coming forward, kneeling at the altar, Kneeling in your seat, praying a prayer, God, forgive me, a repentant heart. It's done. It's done. You can walk forward with your head held high, saying, the Lord loves me. He has forgiven me. I can move forward and grow in Christ. And yes, sin has consequences. That's why the church is here. We want to help heal marriages. We want to help heal relationships. We want to help you grow in Christ. Deal with the consequences. But in your heart, God can forgive you in a moment, right then. Why? Because Jesus took both the scandal and the sin. It was a huge scandal to be hung from a cross. There's literally scripture says hung from a tree. Galatians 3.13. told you I going to throw some verses. Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, which is sin, 
By becoming occurs for us. That's a powerful word. Don't just glad. By becoming, Jesus became a curse. A curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. The reason the Jews sent Jesus to Pilate was to fulfill Scripture. Jesus had to die as a curse on a tree by the cross for us. He took the scandal and the sin so we could be forgiven and walk in new life. Another choice that we face is whether we live for our little K kingdom or for the king. The kingdom or the king. Pilate here, Jesus comes before him. Pilate starts talking. He asks, are you a king? Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. It's of another world. And the kingdom of Christ is. It's not of another world. It is not like the kingdom's this world, whether it is palaces or places of power uh, or wealth or connections or Rolodexes, uh, it's not about the kingdoms that we try to build. And when we're honest, we really try to build our little K kingdoms. And this passage actually shows exactly kind of like how it goes down. One thing Pilate does that, that we do the same thing. Like somebody comes in and we just meet someone and Pilate's like, so, so you're a king. Now, we may not say those things, but what we do is like we want to, you know, we want to size one another up. So Pilate said, okay, they say you're a king, like, you know, show me your goods. How much power you got? How many people you got? Where's your kingdoms? Where's your principalities? Where's your land? Where's your territory? They say you're a king. What's going down here? So, you know, we do the same thing. We meet somebody. Hey, how you doing? What do you do for a living? How's your business? How big's your business? Where's your business at? Uh, you're in arts. What do you do? What do you play? Where have you played? You know, how many big venues? This is a church. Oh, you're a pastor. How big's your church? How many groups you got? How many missions? What's your butt? You know, you can get into these things. We're really sizing one another up. Because, like, we're really insecure about our little kingdom. I mean, we get, get down honest. And we're not focusing on just living for the king and let the chips fall where they may. You know, come whatever. Good seasons, bad seasons. We live for the king. We believe, you know, God works in all things. We just said that. Do we live it? Because there are going to be good seasons. I talked to one sermon a few weeks ago. There's going to be seasons of fruitfulness. There's going to be seasons of dryness. Do we always just focus on the king or are we just always worried about our little K kingdom? And you know what this comes out a lot as? It's co- competition. Competition. Now, now those, uh, you dudes who know me, uh, you know uh, how competitive I can be. Uh, now, that's not like a bragging deal, um, but, uh, you know, I, I like to... Uh, ben Jones uh, called me scrapper last night on the basketball court. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to claim that, but uh, not deny it either. Um, you know, I've broken pool sticks before, uh, not like all intentionally, but I mean, like, I'm a competitive guy. And, and sometimes we like, honestly, I like to like rest on that. Like, you know, we're so competitive and all. And, and I'm, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm guilty of that. Now then... If I really look honest at, at my heart, my heart, it's like really, I really want to win. So I'm really, you know, in everything, just trying to build my little K kingdom. And, you know, that's something I have to deal with and repent daily. Uh, so it's not just about, you know, winning or being the best or, you know, how you play the game. It's about, like, I want, I want this little kingdom to grow. And I saw that in somebody else recently. I'm not going to say who I've heard it from or who it is, but it really struck me and kind of convicted me in my own like, 
competitiveness. Uh, Jack plays Little League or six-year-old, seven-year-old. And so they're coaches, and I've gotten to know other leagues, so I'm not going to say which league or which age group, but I've gotten to know coaches, and I heard a story last week about, uh, you know, because I could throw out, look, I could throw out little key kingdoms of business or politics or arts or all that, but let me just simplify it down to kind of a real common denominator of wanting to grow our kingdom and, and competing and winning. So I heard this story about some coaches, and they were in a game, and their team, it was really tight, really close. Uh, and only one kid had not gotten in the game yet. So one coach said, you know, man, uh, you know, he hadn't played at all. We need to get him in. Well, there's a reason he hadn't played, you know, because, uh, you know, like baseball is not his gift. Uh, but, you know, he's playing, and it's, it's seven-year-old or maybe eight-year-old. Well, the other coach said, uh, this game's pretty close. Uh, he can wait till the next game. Uh, I kind of I laughed at it, too. I mean, but if you know baseball and if you know uh, Little League competition, uh, they got some competitive coaches. Uh, and they're like six-year-olds and seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds. And, you know, isn't it kind of like we do at this stage of life, like want everybody to kind of have fun? But the dudes or the dads, me included, we want to win and I know it's say, like, well, how are you connecting that to building your own? Like, we want to win. We want to be the best. We want our team to win. We want our family to win. We want our, our, our group, our team, to, to look the best. We're building, we're constantly building our little K kingdom. Instead of just focusing on the big K king, king of kings, lord of lords. What is a life focused on the king? Look, Romans tells us, Romans 14. It says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I know so many people who all they want in life, I mean really, is like peace, joy. Focus on the king. It's the kingdom of God. Jesus described this kingdom in Matthew 13 as a small seed, a tiny seed. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, these are Jesus' words. Jesus talks about his kingdom being a seed, and it does start small. I mean, some of you here may have faith the size of a seed. That's great. At least it is starting because it can grow. Jesus said it can grow. If it starts as a seed and you cultivate that seed, cultivate it, by being around Christian brothers and sisters, being part of a covenant community that is the church, growing in worship, growing in Bible study, the seed grows where people see something in you and others are drawn to you for it. Your branches spread out. You reach out to a neighborhood, to a city, to a world. People come to you like, what do you got? I mean, there are, we've talked about this, there there are people that have this innate sense of joy. You may imagine, like, where does that come from? innate sense of peace when their world is going to hell. Where does that come from? It's the kingdom of God. It's living for the king. It's not being focused on some small K kingdoms. We have a choice. What's our choice going to be? Little K kingdom. The king. Another choice we face that we see in this passage. Do we believe the twist or do we believe the truth? The twist or the truth. Jesus said, I have come. His direct words right here in this passage, verse 37. 
to bear witness to the truth. I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And there is a liar. There is a deceiver. We talked about him last week. His name would be Satan. He is literally called in Scripture the father of lies. The deceiver. He twists the truth. He manipulates the truth. He lies to you. Whether in whispers or whether using someone else to cultivate a lie, to bring a lie to fruition in your life. Do we choose the twist or do we choose the truth? You're like, well, what's the truth? What's the twist? I'll give you some examples. The truth. God created the world good. The twist. Well, it just kind of all happened. You know, it's kinda, we're just kind of here. The truth. Sin ruins the world. The twist. It's okay as long as it makes you happy and as long as you get the freedom to choose. The truth. Jesus is the truth. He says, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. The twist. Jesus is good. Good teacher. Good prophet. He's one way to salvation. One of many. The truth. God loves you. I mean, God like really, really loves you. The truth. We, we don't know. We can't imagine how loved we are. The twist. How can this awesome God really love you when all this bad stuff is going down in your life or in your job or with your kids or in your marriage? Truth gets twisted all the time. It could be every second in your mind. By the liar, by the deceiver. God's word is truth. It's, it's ultimately clear. And do we believe the truth? It starts in Jesus. That starts at that seed of faith in our hearts, in our lives. Can we cling to it that God loves you, that God sent Jesus to die for our sins, that He wants you to come to Him and know Him. His love never fails as we sang about. Will you choose to believe the truth? What is a life that's lived in truth? I mean, what does it look like, a person that lives life in truth? A couple of verses, Romans, Romans 14, Romans 15, 18. Paul says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. It's like someone saying, you know, it's not about me. It's not about any gifting. It's not about any, you know, special um, looks or abilities. Or It's just what Jesus did through me. That's the truth. 1 John 3. What is the truth? It says, little children, this is John saying, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed or truth. Like, let's, let's not just say, hey, love one another or serve one another. Let's really do it uh, with our hands, with how we walk in these neighborhoods, in these streets, in this city, to your neighbors. We talked about that, our, our meet the need. We continue to talk about it and fully launch it out. Giving out meals, 2,500 at least by the end of 2015, to love indeed and in truth as Jesus commands us. How do we do that? We've got to hear the voice of Jesus. He says here, again, this passage says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. We hear the voice of Jesus, which entails making time to hear his voice. I mean, in our crowded lives, with all we got, you know, I mean, baseball games, Little League, all that too, I mean, it is, it is hard to find time to hear the voice of Jesus, to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. 
He talks about the shepherd and his sheep and his fold over and over again. Actually, this church was founded, John 10, 16, the passage, the chapter when Jesus called himself, my sheep know my voice. I was talking to another pastor who visited Israel, and the carols may know this, they just got back from Israel. But this pastor said that, you know, even today, they're still shepherds. I mean, I know we talk about shepherds at Christmas, but like today, they're shepherds with their sheep. And the reason Jesus talks about, you know, my followers know my voice, my sheep hear my voice, is because a shepherd in Israel, what they do is the moment just about a baby sheep is born, they'll start carrying the little sheep. Just as you see, even though it's a rainy day, it's kind of cloudy up on our stained glass window. They'll begin carrying the baby sheep and speaking to its voice. So, I mean, literally, these sheep know the voice of the shepherd, you know, at birth. And as they grow and as the shepherd tends to the sheep, they recognize his voice and they follow the shepherd. So, you know, for us, how do we live lives of truth? We've we got to hear the shepherd. We've got to know his voice. We've got to get close to the voice of Jesus by the Holy Spirit in church, in a group in your own Bible study, in your own quiet time, with Christian brothers, you've got to make time, we've got to make time for these things to happen, to hear His voice, to know His voice, and to live in truth. And the last choice that we face, or at least that God convicted me of in this passage, is do we choose the robber or the riches? The robber or the riches. This, this passage closes that, you know, Pilate really is like, you know, if I find no guilt in him, um, this, this really doesn't need to go down. And yet, the people say, you know, we're going to choose Barabbas, who was a robber. And we know how the story plays out. Jesus sent to the cross. And you're like, well, we didn't choose Barabbas. We didn't choose the robber. But gang, I mean, we choose the robber every day in that we choose sin. And sin robs us. Sin robs us of the life God wants for us. Uh, sin sometimes can rob us of relationships. Sin can rob us of marriages. Sin uh, can rob us of a life that can be used in mighty ways in a city, in a school, in the world. And over and over again, we choose sin because we believe the twists of the life that says, this is going to fulfill you, this is going to make you happy, and it never does, and we still search for joy, and we still search for peace, instead of choosing the riches, and I want to use that word, the riches of Christ. You're like, what are the riches? Does it make me wealthy? You know, does it give me money? Does it give me possessions? The riches of His grace. The riches of His strength. Ephesians 2.7. Love Ephesians. Encourage you to read through Ephesians. Ephesians 2.7. In coming ages... He might show you the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. Now you might say, okay, that's great. You can throw riches in, but kind of vague. What's grace? Grace is that while we were still sinners, Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, God loved us and died for us. Jesus chose to die for us. I mean, like we, I'll never forget it. This, this old country pastor in my home country church growing up, it's one of the, the only things I remember him saying is like, we deserve hell and we get heaven. Pretty profound, pretty simple. When we build our little K kingdoms, 
when we go to the robber and choose the robber over and over again, and yet God still loves us and chose us and did not want us to be robbed of His love, and Jesus says, I'll go and die for them. The riches of that grace. That we get heaven for eternity. We get His joy. We get His peace. And there are more riches too. Ephesians 3.16. The riches of the strength of His Spirit. According to the riches of this glory, He may grant you strengthen with power through His Spirit in your inner being. I know a lot's going down for y'all in your lives. I know. I'm pastor. That's what I make it my job to know. And I will be a vault, but the opportunity of the pulpit, or the stand, you know, in preaching, it's saying the place you can draw strength from is the Holy Spirit. And we want it to be embodied and lived out in this community, in this church, where you come here and you get strength, and you feel the Holy Spirit, and you realize the grace. And you do realize we're a sinner, and that we've chosen the robber. Or that we focus on scandal instead of just repenting. And being washed anew like the rain, cleansed, and walking a new life. Look, the riches of His grace, the riches of His glory, is that today, today, there, are, there may be scandals in your heart. You may have chose the robber again and again, but, but like right now, you can be washed clean. You can be made whole. It is instantaneous. It is in a moment. It is a seed, but it can grow. And we are here to help you grow and move forward in new life. And yes, sin has consequences. But I want this to be a place where, man, broken people can feel totally at home and come forward. Say, I want this life. I want to make the right choice. I want to have this joy. I want to have this peace. Forgive me, Lord. Let me know you have not robbed me of riches, but you've, you've sent Jesus for me. And you can move forward in new life with humble confidence. And we'll try to help restore marriages and relationships and all those things that will consequences of sin. But Jesus does it. It's His grace. It's His Spirit that gives us strength. So today I ask, what are you choosing? Really think about what are you choosing in this life? Are you choosing to look at scandals instead of sin? Are we choosing our little K kingdoms over just following the King? Are we choosing to believe the twists of the liars and the truth of Jesus and the gospel? And are we choosing the robber versus the riches that are yours for the taking and here now? What do you choose? Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you for the truth of your gospel. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for already working in lives and relationships and marriages and families, even though we can't see it. I pray that work would continue uh, right now as we take communion at the family of God, the family of Christ, uh, that people would come to repentance and just ask, just ask God, forgive me, and have the faith and know that I can move forward in your life and be renewed by Christ and be helped by this family, this church, this family of God. Help us to help one another. Help us to never focus on the scandal, but only on the forgiven sin. To never believe the twist, but believe the truth. And protect us from the robber. And give us the riches. Amen.